Hi, everybody. I am so happy to be here with you today. How's everybody? You know where we are today in Scripture? We're in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. And it's not just the eighth chapter. This is an amazing place in the Word of God. This is a, a, a very interesting place because Paul... I think in this place in Scripture assumes that we now understand what he has been teaching us. That we understand that by faith we come to Christ. It is through faith in Christ and he alone that we come to him. So what he does to us today in this place in Scripture is he moves us from Bible 101, so to speak, to a little bit of advancement. To where now he says... If you understand what I'm teaching you, you're obligated. That's an amazing statement. Paul says that you and I are obligated. Obligated to a lot of different things. Number one, I would love for you and me to be obligated to pray for one of the dearest friends that I've ever had the privilege of having. That is Dr. Stroman. Dr. Stroman's here. He, uh, he, he, <laughs> I just saw him walking in and he was out of breath. He says, I made it. <laughs> and, and that is a part and parcel of what I want to preach about today is what importance do we, pl we place on coming to church? How critical is it? I would appreciate, and I'm sure May, is, his dear wife, would appreciate you just when you think about it during the day, if you have nothing else on your mind and, and the Lord pops into your mind, Doc Stroman, just pray for him, just that he, his heart is okay and that it, it Everything starts to, to work better and all of that. That's very, that's very me deep medical stuff <laughs> that I uh, know. Just pray for him, and, and uh, I would really appreciate that, and I know that he would as well. Here we are in Romans. Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 7 mentions the Holy Spirit one time. Romans chapter 8, mentions the Holy Spirit some 20 times. What Paul is trying to teach us is our dependency upon the Holy Spirit to give us victory over the flesh. Now, <clears throat> Paul has made it crystal clear in the 7th chapter when he said in the 24th verse, wretched, oh, I forget, what is it again? Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And he already had the answer. That was a rhetorical question. He says, thanks be to God, it is already done through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Paul has made it crystal clear to you and me that he struggles with this thing called life because we're all human beings. We are all in this mortal body and we have a tendency towards sin what Paul is teaching us today, great, great lesson, because I think so many within the faith lack, if, if, if there's a way of saying this, lack in this area of their faith, of what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit of God? What does that mean? I mean, there are churches that, that say you have to speak in tongues so that you would be filled with the Spirit of God. That's not true. That's not a, a, a prerequisite of being filled with the Spirit of God. Some would say you have to have a, 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 a big ecstatic a uh, experience. Did you just drop that? Is that a mint? Oh, you're a racer. Luckily for me, I didn't eat it. <laughs> 
He would say some of you have to have an ecstatic experience to be filled with the Spirit of God. That's not true either. The Bible teaches very clearly that you and I come to Christ, and when we do, we are at that point in time filled with the Spirit of God. Now, what I think the church is lacking, and I believe Paul wants to teach us, is how to go through our lives experiencing the fullness of the Spirit of God so that we can have victory over this thing called sin that wants to take us down. Now, this is not in my notes, but I wanted to say this because I did last night and it seemed to go well. I talked about um, <clears throat> an experience that my wife and I had. I got a chance to speak at a, a place up in, in Monterey, Carmel, a church. A friend of mine had pastored a church there, and he asked me to do a, a speak at his congregation and, and at a, some sort of, I don't remember, but I spoke there. And, but what I do remember is they put us up for about three days and three nights in someone's home. And if you've never been to Carmel, goodness, it's beautiful. It's beyond beautiful. And there's no bad restaurants in that, that town. Everywhere you go to eat, it's just really great food and all of that. And so Kay and I got a little bored. Hi, you guys. How's everything? What a great wedding that was. I got to marry them the other day. That was really, really sweet. I enjoyed every second of it. I bet. I bet. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of that. In fact, someone told me they were at your home and they saw or, uh, a picture of us. Or no, there was someone else's home that had a picture of us uh, and, and f about the wedding. And they said it would really turn out nice. Must have been only of you. <laughs> <coughs> so we go to this place in Carmel. We're bored. And we say, let's go to a movie. We never go to movies. This was a long time ago. I don't even know if you guys were born even yet. Yeah, you had to be born by then, Cassie, but you didn't go with us. We went on. We left you off with Grandma and Grandpa. <laughs> and we took off, and we had a little mini honeymoon, and we just had the time of our lives. And so we said, let's go to a movie, something light. Let's just enjoy ourselves. It was in the afternoon. There was nothing really to do. So we go to this place for a movie, and, and as I've mentioned before, I, I, I love being on time. Uh, being prompt is, uh, I was taught that by my father. And my father used to say, if you have respect for some people, you will always be there on time. You won't make them wait on you. And so um, just a little tidbit for the Lord to, to always try to be here early for him. So anyways, we go to this movie. and We, we want to go and see this, this movie. And the lady says, oh, I'm so sorry. The movie you want to see has already started about a half an hour ago. And I looked at Kay and I said, I don't want to go. I don't want to go and miss the fr front of the movie. And so let's do something else. And she said, the lady that was giving out tickets, says, another movie is just starting. She says, I recommend it. It's a good movie. So we said, okay. So we go. It was Schindler's List. Have you ever seen Schindler's List? Okay, for those of you that haven't, it is an impacting movie. It is an it is, it, I, I wasn't ready for Schindler's List. I, wanted, I thought, we were, thought, oh, Schindler's List is going to be uh, some funny little movie. It was anything but that. It was about uh, the internment and putting uh, the Jews into uh, concentration camps and killing them. And, and this one man by the name of Oscar Schindler, who uh, wanted to make money off of the war, and so he started a business and he was utilizing anybody and everybody he could to, to work for him and so he could make tons of money. And he, he wasn't a, a great accountant and he got this Jewish gentleman who was an accountant who helped him with his books. And through this gentleman that he learned about what was happening to the, the, the Jewish people and it, and it impacted his life. So much so that he stopped 
being concerned about making money, and he wanted to save people's lives, Jewish people's lives. At the end of the movie, when the war was over with, they had a celebration in this big uh, like place that he had where he had all the workers there, all the Jewish. He would hire as many Jewish people as he could to keep them working so they wouldn't take them to the internment camps and have them uh, killed. They all honored him, recognized what he did for them, and they gave him a a gold ring. The inscription on the ring says something like this. It's a Jewish saying, a Hebrew saying, you save one life, you save the world. I think something like that. They put that on the ring. And Do you know how they made the ring, by the way? You remember? Huh? They pulled out, all those that had gold teeth, pulled out their teeth to melt it down to make him a ring. I never can talk about this part in this place in the movie that I can't. It just emotionally gets me. I mean, I've cried at all three services now over just the thought that these people loved him so much for what he had done for them and for their people. So he is overwhelmed by this kindness. And as he's walking out, he sees the faces of all these people that he he helped uh, save. And he got overwhelmed. And he looked at his suit jacket, and on his suit jacket he had a gold pin. And he took it off, and he looked at his accountant friend, and he said, this is gold. It would have been two more people. I could have purchased two more people. I could have saved two more people. And then he looked at his car and he says, this car, I never needed this car. This car could have been ten more people. And he collapsed. He collapsed there in the arms of this accountant friend of his. And all the people gathered around him and just comforted him. And he kept uttering these words, I could have done more. I tell you that story because that is what this place in Scripture is really all about. It's all about our being able to do more. It's all about our taking our faith to such a place of seriousness that we see that there's there's no need for us to leave on the back burner, so to speak, things that we should have done while we were here on this earth. We could, all of us, to do more. And if there's a moment, which I don't know and I don't believe there is, but if there is a moment where we stand before God in heaven and we have this overwhelming sense that we could have done more and we, like him, just fall in tears saying, I could have done more. It is my purpose as your friend and one of the people of this church, in this case, the preaching pastor, that I try to encourage you and me that we don't come to that place at the end of our lives, that our candles are burnt out, that we can go before the Lord knowing that we did everything that we possibly could to try to honor Him and to live for Him. And so that's where I think Paul is bringing us. Listen Listen to what Paul says. Just two very simple verses. By the way, after these two verses, it's like, um, it's like going to a, 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 a park of just nothing but fun. After this is when Paul starts talking about we are children of God. 
fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, where we can call God the Father Abba, Father or Daddy. I mean, it's just, it's just joy. But here in this place, verses 12 and 13 of chapter 8, read it with me, please. So then, brother, wait one second. Let me just stop us for just a second. I'm sorry. Note what Paul does. For the 11 verses that he has led up to this, actually the whole book of Romans until now, this the 12th verse, he has led us to understand what it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ. So he looks at all of us who are believers and he says, So then, brethren. In other words, because of what I've just said to you in these last seven chapters plus. So then, brethren, we are under obligation. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's, a, it's advancement in Christianity. Paul is not playing games here. He is not by any stretch of the imagination saying you're going to lose your salvation if you're not careful. No, no, no. He's already assured us in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But he is saying this. Let's remind ourselves. Look at verses 5 and 6. It really gets to the point clearly before he mentions verses 12 and 13. He says that we have been, every genuine believer in Jesus Christ has been indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit. Our new spiritual life is in Christ Jesus, and it ought not to be characterized by worldly, fleshly concerns and activities, but by the things of God. Therefore, Paul reminds us in verse 5 and 6, those who are, or those who live, according to the flesh, here's the key words, set their minds. I taught you last week, I want to say it again. The words set their minds in the Greek means as a pattern of life. In other words, as a lifestyle. There is, it's hard to recognize. Are they a believer or aren't they? They have set their minds on the things of the flesh. In other words, you can hardly recognize that there's anything different about them. He says those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. In other words, it's a pattern of life. You live like that. But, on the other hand, he says in verse 5, those who are or who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds. As a pattern of life, you set your minds on the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, for the mind set on the flesh produces death. But the mind set on the Spirit is or produces life and peace. In other words, eternal life and peace with God. So Paul says in verses 12 and 13, you and I now, because of who we are in Christ, you know enough about your faith, you are obligated to live a godly life. Just by that statement, 
it gives you and me a very strong inclination that there is a choice that we need to, we need to make when we walk out of these doors. There's a decision that you and I need to make to live according to the Spirit and not the flesh. And what Paul is going to teach you and me this morning is that you have the power in you to do it. He's not left you alone. He's not left you with the, oh man, this, I'm just, I just get beat up by my flesh. No, he has said you have the power to overcome that fleshly desire and live according to the Spirit. Now, have I prayed yet, Joe? No, I haven't prayed yet. Let me do that. Father, please, would you please open up our minds and our hearts and our thoughts so that we might, we might just explore and, and, and find wonderful things from your law. Father, we, we pray that you would kindly reveal yourself to us in a very powerful way. Let those of us that wonder about this whole idea of being filled with the Spirit and having a victorious life, may we, may we understand what Paul is trying to say to us. For that to take place, dear God, please, move me aside. Let me not interfere with what you want to say. Help us to completely grasp the whole concept of living according to the Spirit, setting our minds on those things of the Spirit and not of those things of the flesh. Dear Father, please let us see that we all are really, truly under obligation not to live in the flesh. So bless us, please, dear Father, as only you can. We pray that you will do that because we know that you love us. Thank you so much, Father. And God bless Doc. Help him, Father, please, to just... God bless him, please. Watch over his heart. Pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In verse 12, when Paul starts by saying, So then, brethren, he, he is talking to you and me, those of us who have said we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We're under obligation. In the previous 11 verses, in this, the 8th chapter, Paul has pointed out that believers who are in Christ Jesus, we've been given some great gifts. We are no longer under condemnation. We are set free from the law of sin and death. We are no longer under the control of sin as long as we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And been given to you and to me is life and peace with God. Here's the good news concerning those promises. All biblical directives, in other words, all the things that God says you have, are based on the blessings and the promises that He has already given to you and me. You see, without, here's the deal, without the provisions, without God saying you already have this, this, and that, so you are to do that, that, and that, you wouldn't be able, we wouldn't be able to do whatever it is that we want to do for the Lord without His giving us the provision first. Let me give you the example. What God requires, God always supplies. For instance, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, they were not commanded to take possession of the promised land until, key word is until, they were commanded to take possession, but not until God first promised to them 
that they would be prepared by him to conquer and possess the land. In the, in the book of Ephesians, not only just Ephesians, but for instance, in, in the book of Galatians, in the book of Philippians, in the book of Colossians, as well as here in the book of Romans. But the best example is the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, Paul does much what, is what he's doing here in Romans. For the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul is giving largely a list of spiritual benefits that are given to believers in Christ. And then, after he has given this list of blessings that you and I have been given, Paul then prays for us in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16, 17, 18, and 19. Listen to Paul's prayers after he has listed all the spiritual blessings that you have in Christ Jesus. He says that God, verse 16 of Ephesians chapter 3, would grant you according to the riches of His glory that you would be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you would be rooted and grounded in love and you would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. What a prayer. What a statement. Those are promises that Paul says you and I have. Therefore, here's what Paul says in chapter 4 of Ephesians, the first verse. Therefore, he says in Ephesians 4.1, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Walk in which you have been called. The reason you and I can walk in a manner worthy of our calling is because God has already supplied you and me the ability to do so. He hasn't left us alone. He hasn't left us out there. He says, okay, you're a believer. Work it out on your own. No, He is what God requires of you and me. He will supply all the time. All the time. Now, Paul refers to the readers here in Romans. Back to Romans chapter 8. He identifies us as fellow believers in Christ, those to whom God has promised victory over the flesh, over our sin. And then Paul proceeds to set forth God's pattern for victory over the flesh. He tells us that we have this victory through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Jesus Christ already forewarned his followers in John the 14th chapter, verses uh, 16, 17, 18, and then the capper is verse 26. Listen to what, what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 16, 17, and 18. Jesus says, I will ask the Father. He was telling them that he was going, and where he was going they could not follow. He says, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper. The word another helper there means another of the same kind. In other words, I'm God the Son. I am going to ask the Father to send you God the Holy Spirit. That he may be with you forever. Verse 17. 
That is the Spirit of truth. In other words, God the Holy Spirit. Whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him nor know Him. But you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. Jesus says in verse 18 of John chapter 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In verse 26, he says, when he sends the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrances all that I have said to you. In the 16th chapter, he tells us he will guide us, he will teach us, he will, he will bring all these things into our memory. As the children of God, you and I have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and he will be with us forever. Therefore, back in Romans chapter 8 and verse 12, Paul very boldly writes, you and I have no obligation to the flesh and its desires whatsoever. Because of the saving work of Jesus Christ, what he did on our behalf through the Holy Spirit who indwells every single believer, sinful flesh no longer reigns over us. No longer. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 8, There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So our flesh cannot drag us back into the pit of depravity. No, it, it no longer has that power over us as believers because the Holy Spirit lives and reigns within us. We have His power. So we are no longer ruled by our flesh. No longer are we obliged to live in its sinful ways. As verse 12 states, we are not obligated to live according to the flesh. And then Paul boldly writes, if you do, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. You must die. But if you live according to the Spirit, you'll be putting to death the deeds of the body and you will live. Paul is not, please don't hear this, he's not warning a believer that they may lose their salvation and be condemned to eternal death if they fall back into the ways of the flesh. No, he's already given you and me the absolute assurance that there is no condemnation upon those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And he has also assured us, I know what I speak of because I am a wretched man, he says. Who is going to set me free from this body of death? Oh, thanks be to God. It has been done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What Paul is saying, though, is quite... It's a state, it's a quite a statement. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 is a is a harrowing verse. I have it underlined in my Bible, but I try not to look at it a lot. It's a tough verse. He says, I want you to test yourself. He says, I want you to examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Or, he says, do you not realize this about yourself? that Christ is in you, unless indeed, he says, you fail the test. I've memorized that. I know that verse, sadly, because I every once in a while want to give myself a test. I want to examine myself. How am I living? Let me ask you a question. Do people know that there's a difference in your life? Do they see a difference in your life now that you've come to Christ? Christ. 
Uh, it's kind of a silly little story, but it's, it's a true one. It's a, I used to, Kay would send me to the marketplace. Uh, it was an Albertson. And I, I'd go there and I'd shop. And it was a small little Albertson. And, it, and it, 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 the same people seemed to be working there all the time. And I'd always go to the same lady because I always get confused about the card. You know, how do you slide it through? What do you do? It's just beyond me. It's not, it's not I, don't, I don't do it well. And so every time I go to the same lady, I would go to the same lady all the time. And we got a little bit of rapport going. We we kind of tease back and forth. She said, oh, well, you don't, you know, do you remember how to do it? And I said, no. And she said, well. And then finally, she wouldn't even ask me. I'd get there and I just would have the card up. She would grab it. She'd put it through. She'd do all the work and give it to me. And she said to me one time, after we just laughed with one another and got to know each other a little bit, she said to me, you know, there's something different about you. And I said to her, do you mean that in a good way or a bad way? And she said, no, in a good way. And I said, well, the truth of the matter is, I've, I have, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I, I mean, I've, I full, usually I just say, do you church somewhere? No, I went to her and I said, no, I believe in Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and my Savior. And I believe Jesus Christ will save the world from its sin. And I said, he's changed my life. And she said kind things to me. Have you ever had somebody that you don't even know that sees that there is something different in your life? should happen. It should happen. You and I are to test ourselves to see if we are in the faith. Examine ourselves to, to recognize this about ourselves, that Christ is in us, unless indeed we fail the test. Paul's playing hardball with us right now. He's saying you're, you and I are obligated not to walk according to the flesh but rather to walk according to the Spirit, it's, it's very obvious that there is a choice that needs to be made in this matter. And what God has required of you and me to walk in this fashion, He has is, he is supplied. He has given us the ability to do it. So Paul next reinstates the reason genuine Christians are no longer obligated and bond by sin. We are no longer under condemnation from God. There is always to be an influence. There's always to be an influence of us walking by the Spirit. But on the other hand, as Paul made statement by saying, wretched man that I am, we will always be influenced by the flesh because we are human beings. We are in a mortal body. But we have no excuse to continue to live in a, a corrupt fashion in other words, when, when you are convicted of sin, what should be the very first thing you and I do? The moment you are convicted of a sin, whether it be by the Spirit of God saying, you know, you shouldn't have done that, well, you, you, you have a choice. You know, say, so it wasn't that bad of a deal. Or we can say, Father, forgive me, that was wrong. I have tried to learn in my life that the moment I am convicted of sin, either by somebody telling me, you've done something that hurt me, or by my own just realization of the Spirit of God telling me that was wrong, I don't say, well, I'll take care of that at night. When I go to bed tonight, I'm going to confess all my sins. No, I, I deal with it right then and there, asking the Lord God Almighty to forgive me of my sin and to help me walk in a manner that is worthy of Him. 
We are not obligated to walk according to the flesh. We are obligated, folks, to walk according to the Spirit. We have the Spirit of Christ living within us. And we have the ability to resist its desires. Putting to death, Paul says, the deeds of the body that is characteristic of an ungodly person. There's a Scottish theologian by the name of David Brown who once wrote, If you don't kill sin within your life, sin will eventually kill you. Now Jesus Christ said much the same, but in a much deeper fashion. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made this statement. The Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30, Jesus said, If your right eye causes you to stumble, what? Tear it out, he says, and throw it away from you. In the next verse, verse 30, he says in the same fashion, If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Throw it away from you. He says, in both cases, it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be cast into hell. It appears from this message, the Sermon on the Mount, that there is no action too drastic in dealing with sin. There's no price that our Lord says is too great to pay. Now, He isn't actually asking us to tear out our eye or to cut off our hands. What He is saying, though, is if something makes you stumble, stop it. If it's a group of people that you hang around with that, 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 that just kind of bring you down, my encouragement to you is to stop seeing them. I know that's hard to say, but our Lord says it's better for us to lose a part of our body than for our whole body to be thrown into hell. So how do we deal with sin? Let's get to that. How do we... How do we fight against this sin that, that, that overwhelms us at times? I'm going to give you five, five reasons. Number one, first, first and foremost, it is imperative that we recognize the presence of sin in our flesh and in our lives. It, we've got to be willing to confess honestly like Paul did in chapter 7 and verse 21. Paul says, I find then the principle that evil is present in me. Paul understood that there was a principle of evil living within him. Therefore, he exclaimed, wretched man that I am, who's going to set me free? If we do not admit that there is sin within our lives, we will delude ourselves and become more susceptible to sin's influences. Sin can be powerful. It can be a destructive force in a believer's life. And if it's not recognized and put to death immediately, I, I beg of you, don't put it off. If the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, don't put it off. Confess it. And confess it honestly. Don't sugarcoat it. Call it for what it is. Listen to what John writes in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8, 9, and 10. Listen, he says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Great verse, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, our God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, he comes back to his point. If we say that we have not sinned, 
We make God a liar. And His Word is not in us. Don't put off dealing with any sin in your life. I don't think that you have to go into your life and try to dredge in there. There's got to be something wrong. I know there's something wrong. No, the Holy Spirit is fully capable of convicting you of sin. But when He does, don't put it off. Deal with it. Second way to deal with sin in one's life is to have a heart fixed on God. He ought to be your first priority. I told our kids that I loved their mother more than them, but I loved them with all my heart. And I told our children that I loved God more than I did their mother. And I do. But loving God as I do makes me love my wife more and makes me love my children more. I cannot overdose on my love for God. We have to have our hearts fixed on God. Listen to what the psalmist writes in Psalms 119, verses 5 and 6. He says, Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your, your statutes. In other words, your word. Then, he says, I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. Fix your eyes on God. Third way. Third way to deal with sin in your life is to meditate upon the Word of God. One of my heroes in the Bible beyond Paul is King David. And David gave us the example of meditating on the Word of God. David says, Your Word, O Lord, I have treasured in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Folks, many of the Lord's truths become clearer and clearer only when we patiently immerse ourselves in a passage of Scripture that gives the Lord an opportunity to give us a deeper understanding. I've always recommended that you read the Bible. If, if, if this is the, the last time you touched your Bible was last Sunday when you came to church, shame on you. Really, shame on you. You should be looking at it, reading it every day. And I'm not saying that you should read a whole bunch of it. I, I personally read until there's something that just would like convict me. Like if I was reading in Romans 8 and started off in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I might have just stopped there and contemplated that for a minute. What does that mean that there's no condemnation? And I would just try to mull over those words, meditate on what does the Lord mean when he tells me something as rich as that? And try to figure out what does that mean to my life today as I live here in the Yorba Linda area of California. Have a heart fixed on God. Meditate on His Word. Fourth way to destroy sin is to commune regularly with the Lord daily in prayer. You know, when it says in, in, in the book of Thessalonians, we are to pray without ceasing, that's exactly what it means. Now, it doesn't mean that, that you know, you don't go around and letting people, oh, pray. You know, it doesn't mean that, you know. But, but, you know, you can be around people that you love and see people like this that you married and, and, and you can go off and say, Lord, just bless their marriage and bless them. And they don't need to even know that you're praying. You don't have to change your attitude or change your posture or, or mutter so that they maybe hear and know you're praying. You can just silently, in the heart of your hearts, pray for friends of yours. Just pray for them. Pray for them regularly. 
And let me just say this. This is, wasn't as far as Paul was concerned, but, but it has everything to do with him. It, it's in, in the book of, uh, of uh, First Peter, and, and, and it, it says this about prayer. And I'm talking now just to the husbands in this room, those who are married. It says to us, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. That, the words understanding way in the Greek is like a farmer would his land. In other words, there's no farmer that would plant his land and, and plant it in a place that it wouldn't flourish. No, no farmer would do that. That's his livelihood, that, that, that crop that he has planted. So live with your wife in the same way you would as if you were planting some valuable stuff. <laughs> live with her in an understanding way. It goes on to say in that first, first Peter 3, 7, so that, husbands, your prayers may not be hindered. I know nothing that scares me more than to think that I'm praying for my daughter or I'm praying for my grandsons or I'm praying for my children or my wife and I'm treating Kay in a misunderstanding way. I'm just not being kind to her. I'm not living with her like I should and realize I'm praying for someone or in the first service Lily was here. We prayed for Lily and God blessed her and, and, and made her, you know, healed her of sorts, I, I believe. And we had the privilege of anointing her with oil and praying for her. And God forbid that we would have prayed for her and, and I would have had an argument with my wife and, and, and that I pray for Lily and my prayers would be hindered on her behalf. What a, what a, what a terrible thing that would be for my, on my behalf. So go to the Lord in prayer often. And husbands, if you really want your prayers not to be hindered, live with your wives in a very loving and understanding way. Finally, fifth way to put to death sin in your life is to practice obedience. Look at, there's obedience just doesn't come just because you and I are, are believers. <clears throat> I've never known anything or anyone in any profession, be it sports or uh, a doctor or uh, um, anything, uh, uh, make like when you were in. Uh, uh, construction, the more you did it, the better you got, the, the, the better job you would do. Living with the Lord in an obedient way and practicing your obedience. Little things, but being obedient to the little things in life and you'll be surprised, I think, in time how it becomes and grows and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Paul has already made it clear in the seventh chapter of Romans that putting sin to death is is often difficult and slow and frustrating. But in his letter to the book of uh, letter to the, the people in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he refers to our continual need to rely upon the power of the Spirit and to practice our obedience. He says this, Do not get drunk with wine. That, he says, is dissipation. Rather, he says, be filled with the Spirit of God. The idea is this, rely always on the power of the Holy Spirit who forever resides within you to strengthen and to protect you. To be filled with the Spirit is a simple process. Paul wrote, wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, this concerning about being filled with the Spirit. He says, let... The word of Christ richly dwell 
within you. With all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. When your mind is my mind, when we are under God's control, our behavior inevitably will be under control as well. I want to leave you with this thought. This thought alone. Your being filled with the Spirit of God is not a matter of available power. You have all the power that you'll ever need living within you right now. The matter is, when you walk out this door, your will. Is it something you desire? Do you want to be a man, a woman of God? Is it a desire deep within your soul? I will tell you, that is my dream for you and for me, that we are godly people who walk with God all the days of our lives, and people in this community, wherever it is you work, wherever it is you play, wherever it is you do, whatever it is you do, that people will see there is a difference in your life. Something is changed about you. I pray for that. Never forget what God requires. He will supply. It's not impossible. Father, please watch over us. Let the word of Christ really richly dwell within us. Let us recognize fully that that walking under your control is not a matter of our available power. We have all the power that is needed. It's really a matter of our will, our available will. Do we want it? I pray that's a desire for each of us, that we want to be obedient to you all the days of our lives. Well, bless us, Father, and thank you for this group of people. I love them so much. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.